Well, hello, welcome to the Hoop Collective Podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we're doing here on Sunday afternoon. Joining us from Los Angeles for the first time this season, because he's so busy calling football games, basketball games on the sideline, radio in LA, is our friend George Sedano. What's up, George? Brian, it's good to be here, of course, with you and Tim McMahon, who, you know, we know is Luca's best friend these days. I'll do the introductions of Mr. McMahon, okay? You have to be an expert to say, <laughs> joining us from Dallas, Texas, the one, the only, Ben McMahon. Howdy, partners, George. It is good to see you. I hope we can be friends, but, you know, I, I'm not always the most popular person, but I do try to be honest. Yeah, well, Luca was so offended and, and upset and you know, lingered with such scar tissue from your interaction that he went out the next game and scored <laughs> 73 points in Atlanta. So, I, I man, think, somebody yeah. owes you something. Well, as much as I'd like to take credit, I think probably the combination of his talent and the Hawks' defense was responsible for that historic performance. By the way, um, so that all went down on Wednesday night. Then Thursday night, Luca makes a surprise appearance on Inside the NBA. He's in Atlanta comes over to the studio with Ernie and the guys. And, you know, would you frame it an apology that he issues to the fan who was ejected? I No, I would say an admission that he was wrong. You know, he says, okay. I admit when I'm wrong. I probably shouldn't have done that, you know, so on and so forth. And I was I was listening. I was like, okay, keep going. No, keep going, no. Luca. But that, but that was where he stopped. He was you like, know that's, what, that's, that's enough. That's as charitable and, as I'm going to be. And the thing about it is, had he have done that post game, then it's a 12 hour story because it was a whatever you want to call it controversial post game press conference. The story got brouhaha. I've been in brouhaha, I wouldn't say it escalated quite to that, nor was it a kerfuffle, but it was it was tense. It was on so the fringe extends, of a kerfuffle that extends the storyline, but one hell of a way to end that storyline is to score 73 points in your next game. Tell you what, though, man, this dude. I, I wasn't in Atlanta. I saw him the next night in Dallas, asked him a question post game. His answer was uh, something along the lines of, honestly, I'm tired. I can't wait to go home and go to sleep. I don't blame which, him. Which, don't blame him. The guy played 91 minutes in a span of like 26 hours. Well, he was also exhausted. You know, I honestly believe the 73 wasn't what was most amazing. Mm -hmm. The 65 and three quarters. Because in the fourth quarter, the Hawks decided – we ain't going to be made fun of for 20 years like, like Jalen Rose and the Raptors do with Kobe. They were two and a half times teaming him, and Luka was exhausted. He sort of manufactured the last eight points in the fourth. The 65 through three, Georgie, that to me is the iconic number. Nobody will ever remember that. The 73 will be attached to him. 65 through three quarters. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I would also add that he should have had a triple-double. When you watch that game, how many blown wide-open shots? And I'm not talking about shots from long distance. I'm talking about layups and bunnies that guys missed. He should have had a 73-point triple-double, if you think about it. Well, and he got his triple-double the next night, but certainly not the 73 points. And, you know, all back-to-backs always difficult, especially he's his ankles bothering him. He was questionable for the second game. And you probably had a pretty good idea that, you know, he didn't quite have his legs when his first shot was a step back three. That was an air ball. And he still ended up with a 28 points, 17 assist, triple double. But the Mavs fell down 20 some odd. Got it down to single digits, but never really in Against question. the Kings. The Kings well, won in Dallas. Right. And um, again, 91 minutes in two nights. 
looks like Kyrie's probably coming back soon. He's missed the last few games. And man, they need him, if nothing else. Just you cannot have this kind of workload on a guy and expect him to be able to finish the season strong. I mean, it's the same thing they ran into last year. He's in better shape now, but it's the same thing they ran into last year. Our producer, Jackson Agello says the best defense has been played on your Twitter feed. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, shout out to Alex Spiro, who has been a guest on this very podcast, Wendy. He's I, one I, of uh, America's most well-known um, defense attorneys. Yes, and uh, is a regular listener, has been a guest on this podcast. You've gotten to know him through the, the NBA world. Uh, he is Elon Musk's attorney. Now, as I'm I telling say you- something about Alex. Alex has accomplished some pretty amazing things that I know about, much less what I don't know about. One of the biggest was getting the Robert Kraft tape from the massage parlor in mm -hmm. West Palm Beach. Never entered <laughs> into the public record. He also got some, some NBA players out of some jams that I cannot believe. So the man uh, is accomplished and he does represent Elon Musk as well. Okay, well, now let you know me what? Say, hold on, McMahon, let me say something I, about Brian Windhorst real quick. Because okay. Wendy knows this, Alex, well. And I'm telling Wendy, like, dude, I'm locked out of my Twitter account. Luke is going to score 140 points right after he called me out for only being negative. I can't tweet. Like, this is a disaster. I've got, like, ESPN social media working on it. Wendy could have said, oh, I know Elon Musk's lawyer. Here, let me connect you. <laughs> he did not. He did not. Okay. Alex you know told me, oh, yeah, buddy. I don't want that on my bill. What are you after, <laughs> after I, I was connected, Jason Luton, thank you, sir. Mark Cuban's right-hand man. We're just chatting, and I mentioned to him this predicament I'm in. Oh, would you like me to connect you with Elon's lawyer? He'll, he'll help you out. 45 minutes later, I'm back in business, baby. Thanks not a lick to the podfather, Brian Vindy Windhorst. Sorry. Well, I, I will tell you this. You he may be a great defense attorney, but I was your best defense attorney on television because lo and behold, when I was on around the horn the next day and I see on our B block, it's Luca versus McMahon. I'm like, <laughs> you know what? I got to take up for McMahon on this one. So I chastised Luca, okay, and said, you can't go after my guy, McMahon. He wrote The Wonder Boy. What are you complaining about? <laughs> he wrote a book telling you were a prodigy. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Were there people taking Luca's side in that at our network? Oh, maybe I don't know about at our place. No offense, I didn't. I wasn't able to tune in. Was a little bit busy, um, but I can assure you there were plenty of people taking Luca's side. Well, the city of Dallas was certainly firmly on his well, side. Whatever. I mean, I'm not worried about that. You, you, you got to lay in the bed you made there in Dallas, McMahon. I can't help you with that. That's his life. I, I guess I could have helped you with uh, Alex Spiro. Oh, yeah, thanks, thanks, a, thanks lot. a lot, Alex. Your your check is not in the mail. So Yours anyway, is, George. <laughs> <laughs> we did have a classic game on the season on saturday night um in san francisco steph and lebron double overtime the the lakers and uh you know get the warriors on two free throws by lebron in the last five seconds this is a great game by the way i looked it's the first time steph and lebron have played in overtime since mm. the game one 2018 finals which hmm. This is an iconic game that we just saw Saturday night, but if I could just pause for a moment and recall that game that the last time they played in overtime, which was across the Bay in Oakland, that finals kind of gets written off because it was a sweep. And if it's remembered at all, it's remembered for the J.R. Smith meme where J.R. didn't know the game was tied and dribbled the ball out. I, I will just say that wasn't a guarantee that... So basically what happened was 
at the end of regulation, the the game was tied with Iman Shumpert on the line. Iman Shumpert dodges blame for some reason. No offense to 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 Shump because I, I love Shump, but nobody ever talks about Shump. He misses a free throw that would have won the game. Mm-hmm. Jr. gets the rebound, thinks that the, the Cavs are ahead, dribbles the clock out. LeBron wants to strangle him. And you the can't famous meme photo. A free throw. What? You can't meme a free throw. That's good or, point. That's like truer words were never spoken, McMahon. I just want to remind you real quick of what happened in that game. So the Warriors just boat raced the Cavs in overtime. Steph was great. They won by 10. But LeBron was, LeBron scored 51 points. Now this is back in 2018 where we didn't have 60 point games every third night. We didn't have guys averaging more points per minutes, mm. uh, points than, than minutes played. Okay. Like in 2024 terms, 51 points in a finals game is what? 70. So- Two, I don't want to. Yes, I was going to say Luka. 65. I don't know. <laughs> add, add a dozen, add, add 14. I don't know. All right. LeBron goes 51 points, eight rebounds, eight assists in that game, 19 of 32 from the field in that game that, 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 with the loss. Steph shot tw- uh, made 29, hit five threes, had six rebounds, nine assists. Durant had 26. Uh, Draymond, uh, 13, 11, and nine. An all time classic game. Uh, incredible classic game. I just want to recall that when we talk about this one, which was also a classic game where LeBron had his first 30-20 game of his career, aided by um, the double overtime. But nonetheless, Mm -hmm. it's the first 30-20 game um, for a Laker since Kareem in 76. Wow. That's that's actually very surprising. Yeah. He also had uh, triple-double. George, to get him one game over 500. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I just want to just pause before we talk about the bigger picture. Steph and LeBron have played 49 times. Most of them have been in the finals. That's an amazing statement right there. When you can say that most have been in the finals. They have a complicated relationship, George. And I I guess I will say that, that Steph is LeBron's greatest rival. I actually think it's more Paul Pierce for various reasons. But Well, I think that one is more... It's rooted more in 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 real hatred, I would say, right. right? Right, yeah. But this is, since it was the culmination of Rivals Week in the NBA, I do think we should take a moment and recognize what we've seen from Steph and LeBron. Steph in his 15th year, LeBron in his 21st, eight rings between them, six MVPs between them, five finals MVPs between them. I will stay here, both top 10 all-time NBA players. Got to play in the playoffs again last year, and uh, LeBron with the Lakers got the Warriors. George, I think it's um, worthwhile just to say, hey, listen, like this is a real thing. I don't know if they're going to make Broadway plays about it, like Magic and Bird, but um, <laughs> that was a it was a great reminder of just of just what their what their rivalry has been. Well, do you think? And and again, this is just now us kind of playing fantasy land here, but. Do you think is the only thing that rivals it is Magic and Bird as an individual rivalry in my estimation? Do you think if he stays in Cleveland that it becomes something people write plays about? Um, because it's LeBron and Steph playing on the same teams against each other for an extended period of time, as opposed to LeBron coming to the Lakers, which look I think is also great uh, for business. Although I can make the case that it's not great for business because I feel like LeBron coming to the West Coast and teaming up with the team that people already watch didn't necessarily help the NBA. But when they do square off, because the Lakers are arguably the crown jewel of the sport, facing off against the Warriors. They are. 
Right. Okay. Well, I mean, some people will say the Celtics, but I'm with you on that. But I, I do think in it, there's an alternative universe where if LeBron stays in Cleveland and they're having this kind of success and these two guys are still meeting each other um, in the finals or in these insane regular season games, that maybe they are writing plays about it. You know what I think could be even simpler, McMahon? I think if Durant doesn't go to the Warriors, that rivalry is more intense. First off, because I think the yeah. Cavs have a better chance of being more in the series back and forth. Secondly, I think there's a better chance LeBron stays in Cleveland because um, LeBron realized he was checkmated with those Warriors. Yeah. Um, as it turned out, Durant broke off, but LeBron realized he, you know, after, especially after Kyrie asked out, he was checkmated. He had to go. And also it kind of deprived us of a potential LeBron Durant rivalry, which was very promising when they played in the, in the finals in 12 mm -hmm. and has never really matured to the way that we'd hoped. Well, and I think one thing that's so fascinating about the LeBron Curry dynamic is the storylines are so different. Like, you know, Steph is the one team guy. Uh, now he's played on super teams, but there are super teams that were possible because they drafted and developed and then a, a little caught a loophole or whatever in the salary cap. But whereas LeBron, after giving it a, a, a good run in Cleveland, you know, was kind of on the original super team of this era, then jumped ship to go back to Cleveland, put together a super team there, decided to jump ship, go Hollywood, put together, uh, or at least try to put together a super team in Los Angeles. So LeBron has been essentially, you know, a, a billion dollar mercenary, whereas, you know, Steph has been just, uh, you know, the, the guy in the Bay who's revitalized the, the Warriors and changed the game. And, you know, stylistically, they're so different. Uh, LeBron is just one of the best athletes that we've ever seen. Uh, can, you know, still at 39, but, but especially throughout the course of his career, so powerful, so explosive, not to diminish that he's an, an absolute basketball genius. Um, but Steph is, you know, a visibly relatable guy, right? Like you don't look at Steph and, and think, what a unbelievable physical specimen and he's just completely changed the geometry of the game and the way you even think about basketball because people weren't taking 35 foot off dribble threes before this guy came around and by the way i will add that he has at least in tow worked on his body so much that that's why he's lasted 15 mm -hmm. years and he probably could last more because if you look back at that 2018 finals or any of those finals before, I mean, he does not look like the guy physically that he is now, even though I'm with you. He's not necessarily some dude you go, right. whoa, that guy's a specimen, you know? Yeah, I mean, not, listen, the, the other thing, like you're not this historically dominant at 39 years old unless your work ethic is ridiculous. And the same thing, you're not producing even at 35 like, like Steph is. Uh, and you know, both of these guys, not that... Either of them are just complete saints or anything, but like in terms of spokesmen and, and faces of the league for this generation of the NBA, uh, you know, Adam Silver is in, in pretty great debt to both of them. Yeah. Well, and they're going to have a pretty big void, I think, once those guys are gone. Like, I, I think that, you know, people always lament kind of that time from Jordan to then the next era, right? That was ushered in. I think we're going to have a very similar situation. Although I think the league overall, and I think basketball people will will push back because 
The league is in a good place. There's a lot of good young stars. I just don't know if any of them are marketable the way that LeBron and Steph became marketable. More Hoop Collective podcast after this. Okay, one thing, guys. The Warriors losing this game, they fell to five games under 500. They are three games now in back of the Jazz. As we record this on Sunday, they're three games back of the Jazz for 10th. Okay. We are All those fingers. T- 10 days, 10th place, 10 days till uh, the trade deadline. I got into some tussles with everybody from Kendrick Perkins to Tim Bontemps, as I was saying, look, just wait on the Warriors. Don't think that you're going to do something with this team at the deadline. The best thing that you can do is to get Draymond back and, you know, try to stitch it together. And if you dry it till the wheels fall off, the thing about it is now they've had two brutally tough losses in this last few days, lost by one at home to the Kings, by the way, talk about a, a budding rivalry. <clears throat> I don't know how many rivalries we can count on, but you're going to have, uh, you know, when you have the Kings and the Warriors and rivals week, which they did earlier this week, I think they're going to stay there for a while because after that seven game series last year, now three consecutive games this season decided by one point, but they come down on the wrong side of it and a tough loss to the Kings earlier uh, in the week. And then the Lakers, you know, nip them at the end. So, you know, look, they can say we're not that far off. Draymond is playing well, but the truth is they're five games under 500. We're now past the midway point. They're not getting closer McMahon. And I'm not coming off of my position that their best bet is to just stick with this group together and hope that it comes, but it is not my, my case is weakening. I I, I am yeah. not, you know, I'm really just, I really don't have good reasoning. I just think it's their best course of action. Well, and, and, and I've been with you for one reason, just because neither one of us can stand bond him. So anytime we can team up right. against him, it's, God, it's, not here. it's good fun, but you know, obviously like the frustration is bubbling in the Bay, you know, Steph did the Hulk Hogan Jersey rip. Do you know what kind of damage to memorabilia he did with that? Actually, it may be a damage. No, dude, that jersey increased. Is be worth I take that money. back. You're right. Now, that especially I think the way that ended, where Steph, after a pancake block by Draymond, hits the go-ahead three, and then it would have been better for LeBron would have finished. He still hit the game-winning free throw. So no, I mean that that jersey would be worth some coin. But what's not worth a whole lot of money is a bet on the Warriors right now. You, you know, if you've got a ticket with for the Warriors winning the title. If you can cash out on that thing, I'd I'd, I'd do it quickly. Um, I mean, dude, they're making the the play in right now is a pretty long shot. As as you mentioned, they're three games out of the last spot of the play in, the play in, and as you're talking about three games out of having to win two playing games to face the number one seed. So, I I there's not a quick fix. You know, like we can talk about well you know, trade Wiggins or trade Clay or do, like, there's not a, tell me the deal that's there that can vault the Warriors from 12th place to having realistic hope this season. I think if you're Mike Dunleavy, you've got to be looking at this situation and saying, is there something we can do now that can put us in position to have a bounce back year next year? And you talk about a tough situation. Obviously he, he's been with that franchise Dunleavy, but First year in the big chair, first year as the GM, you know, you're taking over the core of a dynasty. And man, are you going to be the one who, who who breaks that up? You know, Clay Thompson's free agency is setting up to be extremely uncomfortable 
to say the least. And, you know, honestly, I don't know how much drama there is left in this season for the Warriors, um, but there certainly will be some this summer. Yeah, George, I'm not necessarily advocating that that it's going to be okay. I'm just advocating, you know, you can't salary, you can't do a salary dump. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you if you need to do a salary dump, you can do that in the summer or try to do that in the summer. I don't see the path. So it's getting bleaker, but I honestly don't know what they can do other than try to stay the course. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could trade Wiggins to Tim's point because he's one of those pieces that isn't part of the core. Um, and he's been fairly inconsistent this year, although did have a really good game against the Lakers and has had some spurts. It's funny because when I've talked to people about Wiggins, the conversation that I get back is the how slow he started this year. Mm-hmm. And the guesses on that has been something to the effect of, hey, man, he's got a lot of mileage on him. If you think about it, he's been in this league about a decade or so. And despite the fact that he's probably still under 30, this is kind of that time when you hit that decade plus time in the league where you have to treat things differently in regards to the way you get ready for the season, the way you are uh, dealing with your body during the season. And I think that for years, he's been so used to being just so naturally gifted and athletic and whatnot that I think he hasn't come to grips with that. So that seems to be the same hypothesis I've gotten from a number of people about him. And I just don't know if Andrew Wiggins is the guy that's going to adapt to that. Maybe he is. Maybe I'm wrong about that. So because you don't want to trade the core, because you you clearly want to hold on to that, and Clay's not the same guy. Offensively, last year, he kind of surprised people. Remember, he had the highest scoring month of his entire career in January after having a really bad start to the season. And if you look back, I think in five or six of the 11 seasons that he's played or the last 11 that he's actually played, he's had a really rough start where he shot under 40%, but he's been able to bounce back. That hasn't necessarily been the case this year where we're talking about him scoring 20 on certain nights and he's at the podium saying, I mean, I used to do that in a quarter, you know? And I think we're coming to grips with the mortality of Clay. But if you don't want to do it for sentimental reasons, Wiggins is the only potential path out. And whether that's acquiring another player with a similar salary or multiple players, that that might be your only out if you're the Warriors. Well, you're not trading Wiggins at at value right now, right? right? And let's be honest. What we've seen from Wiggins this year is a lot of what we've seen from Wiggins for most of his career. I mean, there's a reason that the Warriors got a pick when they gave up D'Angelo Russell for Wiggins, right? And he was a critical part of the Warriors' last championship team. I mean, he was... Oh, he was the second-best player. There's no question yeah. about that. Yes. But when you're talking about sample size... they signed size, a contract where he accepted a d- double-digit, like, eight-figure-a-year yeah. pay cut or something like that. Close to eight figures a year pay cut. Like, Yeah, I mean, but, like, if you're trying to do something to improve this year, the, the guy to move would be Chris Paul. And essentially, it would be as an expiring contract with the, you know, the, the, the team option... For next year, and then you get into the conversation. Hey, this is a historically expensive team, just paying a crazy amount of luxury tax to be in twelfth place. Do you want to commit to continuing to pay a crazy amount of luxury tax because you're getting future salary back? I mean, the Warriors like do. That? The Warriors do have a first round pick that they could trade, and in theory, Chris Paul's thirty million dollar expiring contract plus a first round pick, you could go to market and get some stuff. But 
That is adding money to your cap next mm-hmm. year, probably, and hurting your, you know, your franchise going forward. And when you're in 13th place or 12th or whatever they're in right now, I don't know if you can justify that. I still think your best bet is to try to stitch it back together and hope to catch fire because you're you're looking at the, you're saying, okay, if we could get 10th or 9th in the play-in, maybe we can get Oklahoma City or Minnesota, two teams that are awesome, but do not necessarily quote unquote scare you. If you could avoid Denver and you know, Minnesota's mm-hmm. coming back to the pack, but you could, you know, I mean, again, I'm I'm not saying any of this is the way it's going to go. I'm just saying if you're sitting there in the office, you're trying to figure it out. Do they um, think they can be the heat of this year is the question, right? Like, do they look at themselves and say, you know, can we pull off what Miami pulled off last year? Because I, I don't know if, if they're capable of that. Maybe if they get that matchup, because I do think, to your point, the teams at the bottom are looking at OKC in Minnesota and saying, we have a shot with those teams because of the lack of playoff experience, et cetera, et cetera. Well, you're assuming also that those teams going to end up in the top two spots. Uh, those oh, right, are very which is fair. They may not. Yeah, the, the Clippers are walking everybody down in front of them, including yeah. the Celtics, who they slapped across the face Saturday night in Boston. Uh, Porzingis was out in that game, but they, they avenged a, a heavy loss from December when the clip when the uh, Celtics won out in L.A. Before we move on, I also want to say the Lakers, George, which is your bread and butter. You talk every day on the air about the Lakers, and I'm sure you're taking a lot of calls about this. Let me read you the stats for D'Angelo Russell's last six games. <laughs> as, at least as we're recording this pod. 28 points, five assists, five of eight on threes. Game before that, 29 points, four assists, eight of 13 on threes. Game before that, 27 points, 10 assists, four of 10 on threes. 34 points, eight assists, six of 11 on threes. 20 points, seven assists, three of five on threes. 29 points, three assists, five of seven on threes. This is a team in the Lakers, as you know, that has been in the bottom five and three-point shooting. This guy is a godsend for them. These games haven't all been, haven't all gone great, but this is the guy who the Lakers had clearly on the trade block, which clearly irritated him. Didn't talk to the media for quite some time. Was brooding as he was on the bench. He came back in the starting lineup because of an injury and uh, to Cam Reddish, uh, his knee, and has been killing. And so my question, George, now we all know that Russell is, his whole career is up and down, but I don't know what you're going to do if you're the Lakers here. I I don't think, I don't know if you can trust it. On the other hand, the big Come thing, and <laughs> McMahon gives me the look like, is David Benjamin pointed this out, and you know this has been pointed out to me by people in the league. Obviously, the Lakers have the first round pick they can trade. They have Russell. If they wait until the summer, and if they wait when you have a 39-year-old on your roster as your leading player is a hard sentence to finish. But George, if they wait till the summer, then they would have up to three first round picks that they could trade. And Russell, if he opts into his contract, becomes an expiring contract in case instead of somebody, if he doesn't work out with your team, might stick around and you get to see him for the rest of the year. And you're not finding a trade you like. They've had talks about DeJounte Murray. They don't have a deal. They've had talks with, with the Chicago about Zach Levine. They don't have a deal. Right. How much does just keeping D'Angelo Russell and how much of a risk is that? All right. You also forgot that when he wasn't talking to the media, he then dropped a podcast that I don't know if anyone knew he actually had at that particular <laughs> time, talking about how to maximize himself. At least the clip that circulated online was how to maximize him better 
and which was putting the ball in his hands and running the pick and roll and things of that nature. But they did put the ball in his hands. They did. They did. They did. They did. They did. But I thought that was just the timing of that was just hilarious. But here's the other thing. Can you trust it? I don't know is the question. And that's not a great answer. But it's an honest answer. But it is. Right. And let's not forget that last season during the Denver series, our own Dave McMiniman had a report and a story about how they were worried about benching him because they thought they'd lose him. So this is a guy who has not only a history of inconsistency, but a history of kind of checking in and out mentally in certain spots. Now he's playing great. I think a lot of that is probably motivated by he doesn't want to be traded, but I don't know if I trust it. You know what I do trust? I trust that DeJounte Murray is a better defender than him. And that I think at the end of the day, if you're the Lakers, if you have if your thoughts are you can have a similar run to the ones to the one you had last year, you need someone that can at least defend Jamal Murray. And D'Angelo Russell is not that. DeJounte Murray, to me, gives you a much better chance of that. And I know DeJounte Murray has been wildly poor as a shooter historically in his career, but shooting nearly 40% this year. And I'm not calling him Jason Kidd, which McMahon knows a lot about. I'm not saying that He's figured it out like Jason Kidd did late, later in his career because he did do that. Jason Kidd was yeah. a terrible three-point shooter and then all of a sudden became one of the best three-point shooters. I don't know if DeJounte Murray's doing that either, so it's not an easy answer, but I'll, I'll rely on the fact that I know he can defend the point of attack way better than D'Angelo Russell in my estimation, despite being on the 27th-ranked defense this year in mm. Atlanta. Okay, Mm. but I think as an individual defender, he is a way better defender than D'Angelo Russell. I sell high on D'Angelo Russell and taking a guy whose contract is palatable and a guy whose contract tops out at under 30 million dollars, although I know there's a trade kicker. So let's just say roughly around 30 million dollars in about three, four seasons or whatever it is. McMahon, are you going to have a podcast uh, where you call for your own podcast? (laughs) <laughs> I've already done that, and then they yanked it from me. So what are we going to do here? Um, <laughs> howdy, partners. So I agree with your conclusion, which is sell high on D'Angelo Russell. Well, Wendy, I think it's just sell. I don't know how, I don't know how high it's going to be. but you Well, just it's as high sell. as it's ever going to be right now. And yeah. As you were reading the, all those stat lines, Wendy, I just pictured Rob Palenka calling Landry Fields, the, the Hawks general manager. Let me, hold on, let me put you on speaker so I can read these stat lines to you. This is what D'Angelo Russell's been doing. What do you mean you don't want this guy? We should be asking you for picks. We're offering a pick. Are you? Now, so can you trust D'Angelo Russell? Dude, he got benched in the finale of the greatest sweep in NBA history, the most competitive sweep in NBA history. D'Angelo Russell spent most of game four of that series on the bench. That answer is, can you trust him? Why did they bring him back? That's, you know, you know what? Because they made a mistake. They did. And he's been playing great, which the Lakers should hope helps his trade value because he's not going to be a guy you can plug in as your starting lead guard, whatever you want to call it, and 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 win a championship. Now, the one quibble I have, and you, you, you touch on this, DeJounte Murray left San Antonio with the reputation of being one of the better defensive guards in the NBA. As you're talking to scouts around the league right now, kind of one of the things teams are trying to figure out is, was he just wildly overrated defensively? Like, why haven't we seen it? 
in Atlanta, but this great point of attack defender was part of a team that just held Luka Doncic to 73 points on 25 and 33 shooting. Can't be that great. <laughs> well, he's got Trey Young next to him, who, as great as he is, is certainly not uh, someone you can depend on defensively. So That's true. More Hoop Collective podcast after this. All right. We didn't have our guy Bontemps on the show. Because he was in Denver. He made a day trip from New York to Denver. Did you hear what I just said? <laughs> he made a day trip because Bontemps is one of these, you know, whenever you get on a red eye, George, like everybody looks like they're a zombie even before. They're all like in a bad mood. Like I can't believe. Yeah. Bon Bontemps, you know, he's so high energy and high wired. He's bouncing around the gate because he he takes like 30 to 50 red eyes a year. He loves it. Oh, so he boy. actually flew out to Denver. This explains a lot, by the way. Talked to Embiid. Embiid said, I'm playing against Jokic. We're going to do it for the first time since 2019. That's right. In Denver. He hasn't played in Denver since before the pandemic. We did not know what COVID-19 was the last time we heard, last time Jokic <laughs> saw Embiid on his home court. Okay. So I thought he was allergic to altitude, and then they went and had training camp out there in Colorado Springs. So there went that theory. Brilliant point. So injury report comes out. Look. Bad news for the Sixers. Tyrese Maxey had turned his ankle. He's not going to be able to go. Now, he was on the injury report. It's questionable. Bummer. Tobias Harris is ill. There's a sickness going around uh, in the NBA right now. A bunch of teams are dealing with it. That happens in January. Bummer. Look, if he's in bed and vomiting, you know, or whatever, can't play, I get it. DeAnthony uh, Melton has been out with a back injury for the last couple of weeks. Boy, down three starters. All right, well. It's not going to be maybe the greatest game on ABC for the one of the centerpieces of rivalry week or rivals week, but we're going to at least see the two MVPs go head to head. And it's going to be fun to see uh, Embiid, who's going to play because he's not on the injury report, listed as active, right? Pre-game uh, uh, press conference from uh, Nick Nurse. Embiid's active. What happened, George? Late scratch. I mean, look, he he did, his knee was bothering him uh, I think Thursday night in Philly. Nurse said after that game, yeah, it might bother him, but he's okay as far as I know. Not on the injury report. Michael Malone, the Nuggets coach, is like, what is this? How can you, how can you have us prepare for a guy being active? And that because you know, you know what 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 Malone was essentially saying is chicanery. I don't think the Sixers were doing this, but what you know, you have you know, it's it's courtesy to give fair warning, not to mention the betting markets. The betting markets, like, you know, forget about making sure that the Nuggets are aware. So if Embiid is late pulled, now the Sixers said it was the medical team. And I'm not in any position to say that it wasn't the medical team. But how come the medical team had cleared him to be available during the day, before the game, and then pulled the plug? No matter what it is, even if his knee is throbbing and he can't play, George, it's a terrible look. For Joel Embiid. And by the way, the Sixers went out there, played the game down to the final minutes. B-ball Paul Reed had 30 points game of his career against Jokic. Tremendous showing by the Sixers. If they had Embiid, even for half his minutes, they might have won the game, which, dis which makes it look even worse in my mind. I'm a big supporter of Embiid. You guys know that I have defended Embiid to, you know, to my detriment in this matchup with him and Jokic. I, have, I am nothing but disappointed 
and the way this went down. And frankly, it just looks terrible from his perspective. Well, not only does it look terrible from his perspective, but it looks terrible from the league's perspective. I mean, Adam Silver went out of his way to create these rules that guys have to play. And the fact that he wasn't on the injury report, to me, I'm with Michael Malone on this. Michael Malone said basically after the fact that, hey, you, you, you're you're listed as available. You're not even on the injury report. We need to have an investigation on this. And I'm with him because I would imagine there should be some penalties here for the franchise, for the player, for whomever um, in regards to not being available and at least not keeping true to the injury report because the injury report is a guide for the other team, to your point, Brian, and, you know, obviously tangentially to the betting market, which is, you know, let's face it, we've all we've all removed all the uh, you know previous taboos about gambling uh, in professional sports in the United States. So l- let's just be transparent about this as well. Let's let's keep them in the fold here too. So yeah, it, look, if this happens in the NFL, teams get fined, players get fined, and and I would like to see NBA the, teams have been fined this year mm-hmm. for this. Right, I would like to see this be one of those situations. And it's not me picking on Philadelphia. It's that you can't do that. You have to set a precedent here, or you can't set a precedent where a guy's literally not on the injury report. And then all of a sudden, boom, he's out of a game on a nationally televised game on rivals week on a triple header on your biggest partners over the air network. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. Like this is a business too. And I know that the guy's injuries or, or suspected injuries should take precedent if there indeed is an injury, but you know, you, you got to be able to kind of button this up more. I know McMahon doesn't like paperwork, but the paperwork needed to be filled out where Joel Embiid but at least it, showed up it, on the interview. It's not even about that, too. It's about the, the, the it gives off the. It appearance. feels like there's shenanigans going on, Brian. It looks That's like what it he dodged like. him, is what it looks like. Yes. Yes. That's yeah. what it looks like. Yes. It, it, it looks it, like he a, doesn't want to go up against Jokic that in, what, Denver. in Denver. Right. In Denver. For whatever reason, he doesn't want to play him there. I don't and, know if it's true, but it looks like it. Okay, listen, I, I will. People in Miami will tell you when LeBron went to Cleveland, he barely played in Miami, and they they push back on that. When all the Kyrie time. demanded a trade to to, to Boston, he barely he played like one game in Cleveland for the next four years. Right. So some of some of it was when he was legitimately hurt, but some of it were times where he just pulled the ripcord. Right. But these things need to be rectified. Like you can't have these things. These are the games that people most look forward to. To your point, these dueling MVPs, guys going back to play their old teams, that stuff matters. Mm -hmm. And look, I love Michael Malone. Okay. Michael Malone, when I'm on the sidelines, there is not a guy. And I say this unequivocally, unequivocally. There is not a guy that is more honest with me in those sideline interviews that most people feel are trivial than Michael Malone. As a matter of fact, he may be too honest, okay, when he's in those interviews because he berates his players sometimes in those scenarios. And he's the guy that I'm searching for in post-game press conferences. A lot of these games during the regular season are, can be mundane, but you know what's great is the Michael Malone press conference, particularly when his team loses. Go seek that out, whether it's on League Pass or on YouTube later or on their social channels, because that stuff is good. So I, I'm with him on this. And I kind of like that he's a little old school and kind of calling out Embiid and the Sixers on this. Yeah, and, and look, it's one thing if Victor Wimbanyama rolls his ankle on a ball boy's foot during his pregame warmups. Right. Or then, KD slips on the floor in Phoenix, right? Exactly. Now, this one, you knew the knee was an issue, even if you list him as probable. He, he has to be on the injury report, but... That the the team can be punished financially. As far as Embiid goes, like 
suddenly people are whining about this 65 game limit thing. Sorry, dude. If you miss 20% of the season, I think you can make an argument that perhaps he should still be able to be considered for all NBA because he is so obviously one of the top 15 players in the NBA. But in terms of MVP, Joker's missed a game this year. Embiid has missed 25% of the Sixers games. 98% of Joker, 96, 97% of Shea Gildas Alexander is more valuable than 75% of Joel Embiid, no matter how dominant Embiid has been. And there's there's a debate with them all at, at, at full strength, just on their per game numbers. We can have a debate. When you discount 25% off of Embiid because that's how much he's not available, he's not a deserving MVP. Period. And I know, Wendy, that get that that's a sensitive subject for you as the former anti-joker MVP lobbyist, but it's simple <laughs> truth. Well, the thing about the it's not just about the injury report, because what they'll do is is like like LeBron and AD are on the injury report every single game mm-hmm. for the Lakers. Right. LeBron is listed, is it with uh questionable, yeah. And like don't isn't that what they did? Isn't what that's what the Patriots did for Tom Brady for like seven he, years. Yeah, like he was, he was I think he was questionable with a shoulder injury his entire 30s. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that's what, you know, like, so if the league finds Sixers for it, they'll just put Embiid with the knee every single game is questionable or probable or whatever. And then they'll get out of it. And then it won't mean any different because then they'll, they'll say, well, well, we said he was questionable. And, you know, you know, anybody betting on the game will just have to assume that. That's not what I'm talking about. I mean, it is a paperwork thing, but it's a look, it's just it's just a terrible look. If Embiid thought there was a chance he couldn't play in that game because his knee hurt, he should have let it be known. Not in a formality, not to satisfy some rule, but to just avoid what what it looked like. It looked terrible. And this is a guy who has never looked better. His mm-hmm. Q rating in the league has never been better. The way he is playing this year, the way they've managed the Harden thing, it's just a real setback for where he was. And look, he may miss the next two games on this road trip. And like, well, it was a bulky knee. But in my in my view, that makes it almost even worse. I almost And by the way, Brian, how about for his coach who looked like a dummy out there saying that he was available and active? Look, honestly, I would just think it would be better if Embiid came out and said, look. Every time I play on this knee right now, it's really bothering me. When when I found out we didn't have Tyrese and Tobias, I thought it was better to 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 uh, you know even though that's a weak quote unquote weak way out, I would respect it more if he was just like, look, I made a value judgment that if I can give us a chance to win the next game by playing because if Tyrese might miss some games, I was in better shape and missing. I would prefer that instead. Of course, he is not available at all post game. Which is not unusual because if a player doesn't right. play injury, he doesn't usually talk. But like, the, if he had said that, I think it would have given him some shelter. Right now, he really has no shelter, even if his knee is really bad, even if his knee genuinely was going to hold him down. And you know, by all accounts, he did labor through that previous game. That you know, he wasn't himself. Uh, I can't remember who they played. Um, Pacers, they won. I who they did? I believe it was the Pacers. Okay, which they lost, right? They actually lost that yeah. game. He labored through that game. The Pacers, by the way, had a pretty good weekend without Tyrese Halliburton. <laughs> they beat the Suns and the Sixers without Tyrese Halliburton. But anyway, just a bad Listen, look. Listen, you want to win a game in the NBA, just let a guy score 62. Not 61, <laughs> not 63, but players who score 62 this year or this week are 0-2. It's math. 
Now that's a ticket that you would have liked to have had uh, for the sports book. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening and watching the hoop collective podcast. Thank you to Georgie Sedano for coming on. Thank you to McMahon. Thank you to Jackson and Andrea, our producers. And we'll be talking to you later this week. Adios amigos. Thank you.